Hello and welcome to What Were You Thinking? Brought to you with Vestiaire Collective and hosted by moi, Henry Holland, the 37-year-old clueless fanatic. Before we get started, I just want you to know that this podcast is not about my guests' fashion fails. It's all about the fashion moments that have shaped their lives personally and professionally. And this episode, I'm totally bugging because we have an extra special guest who single-handedly created some of the most iconic on-screen looks that inspired me endlessly over my 15 years as a designer. Make my day, Mona May. As a designer, no one movie and its costumes inspired me more than Clueless. Released 25 years ago this year, and yet the movie's costume and style feels as modern and relevant today as they ever did, as they continue to inform and inspire a new generation and spawn copycat versions from Halloween costumes to the runways of London, New York, Paris and Milan. Mona May is the costume designer responsible for creating an aesthetic through the film's characters that not only cemented them in the place of the hearts of millions, but also created a fashion moment that lives on 25 years later. And it's not only Clueless, she later worked on Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion and The Wedding Singer. One of the reasons for starting this podcast is my fascination with clothing and how it becomes a form of emotional expression. Telling the world who we are and how we feel, whilst forming a visual backdrop to our own life stories. And the role of costume design in film and TV has always been an obsession of mine. So I'm beyond chuffed to have Mona May on today's episode. Hi, Mona. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm so excited to be here and so nice to meet you, Henry. Uh, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just delighted uh, to just bask in, in the spotlight again, you know, because 25 years later is crazy that we are still, that this film has lived so long and it's so still relevant in the society. You know, I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. I, I'm just jumping for joy, seriously. Has it been fun to revisit it with the, with all the anniversary stuff? Or has it been a bit like, okay, guys, I have done other stuff? So much fun. So much fun. I mean, I love this movie. And you know, I, I think the most important thing is what the movie brings to the audience and what I feel that the mm. love there is, you know, for this film continuously. I mean, when I, when I you know, meet women of all ages, when they find out that I did the costumes, they squeal with delight. They tell me the stories, what happened to them and how old they were when they first saw the movie. And, you know, some were older and it was pre-Amazon. Uh, so they, they had to like search how to find the over the knees talking. You know, one was telling me that her daddy bought her Jeep. So it's oh. just great. You know, this emotional kind of connection. I mean, now with my Instagram too, uh, women send me, oh, that, you know, they loved the movie when they were young and now they just showed it to their children, you know, a 10-year-old daughter or, you know, so now the new fans are growing it just feels like it's kind of snowballed and it just keeps growing and growing and it doesn't feel to dissipate at all because it's just such it's such a visual treat I watched it last night and just you know it's one of those films that you could happily watch with the sound (laughs) off and that's no disrespect to the script you know what I mean there's no disrespect to the script at all but 
I I could sit and watch that film and I think that is, you know, a testament to incredible thank costume you, design. But you. you can sit and watch a film with the sound off and you can understand who those girls right. are and who those characters are and, and what that world is all about. Exactly. Um, and I think that's another example of that would be like Sex in the City. You know, you can watch Sex in the City and know who those four women are because of the way that they Absolutely. are presented. And um, that's that's why I love you know, co- costume design as a medium, you know, I think it's such a powerful tool. It's amazing. You know, I love that. I love that as a costume designer, you get to really dive into the psychology of each character, you know, to see what's on the page, but then they take it from there and kind of really reimagine it in a sense. And, you know, uh, prepare with the actor and dive, you know, what also the actor feels like. I always tell everyone that my, my favorite moments are really are in a fitting room, you know, when, when we are there and we have the clothes in the room and we are just starting to try it because you can imagine so many things, but not till the clothes are on the actor. And when it really kind of has that magic of coming together, when they are like, oh, I'm it, you know, and that's what happened to Alicia Silverstone because she was like, you know, she was 18 years old. She didn't have any acting experience, but the Aerosmith video, mm-hmm. you know, she now, she was at the time a young girl running around with the dog. She was, you know, completely, you could say hippie girl, you know, uh, in her sweatpants. So she, she had to really learn how to be this character, you know, step into the clothes and go, oh, yeah. you know, they were very binding, as she says in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So tell me about your process then. So what's your starting point? You get the script, first of all, and then you sit and read that and then you start to, you know, your imagination runs wild and you start to build your characters visually in your own mind. Right. What's what's the process like for you? Uh, well, this was very interesting, This how this movie happened, Clueless, because I actually worked with Amy Heckling on a pilot, the director of Clueless, who wrote the film. The pilot didn't get picked up, but we just connected creatively, incredibly. This was just, we were like on the same wavelength. We would bring the same, you know, this is pre-computers, everybody tear sheets from magazines you know like oh my god that's why you have so many books behind you (laughs) yes yes i still read them i still research them um so the you know this really incredible connection uh creative connection was formed so when she wrote clueless she called me and she said you know i really want you to do it also my background is european you know i I was born in india to polish and german parents i grew up in both countries you know my mom still lives in berlin yeah what was your journey to get to being a costume designer how you know i was one of those kids who just from from early age just loved fashion probably like you drawing princesses with you know 20 different changes and having the whole collection on the wall and telling mom what to wear and you know so that was just what i loved from I, i don't know it was I was feel like I was born with it, you know, it's just kind of some understanding and, and um, feeling for it. So I went to, you know, through fashion schools in Europe and I ended up in New York and then in L.A. And while I was in L.A., you know, you hang out with all kinds of people. Everybody's going to school and there were friends from USC, University of Southern California, USC and UCLA, and they were film majors. And they said, hey, we need some clothes. And kind of that was the moment, you know, I, I, I helped and I loved what you talked about is the kind of psychology of who these people are and how to dress them. So it's not just fashion, but it's more. And, you know, I'm a, I was, I'm a good team player. I mean, I love the kind of collaborative experience on set, working with the director, you know, working with the director of photography, with the production designer, you know, we really kind of, we all bring our talents to create this visual story, you know, uh, from, from the page of the script. 
Um, but that's why I think how this whole thing began for me with Amy and, you know, Amy really wanted always this film to be very high fashion, you know, very kind of Beverly Hills girls where money is no object and they can go to the runway shows and basically pick their clothes. But the reality of 1994, 1995 on the street of Los Angeles was grunge. Everybody was pretty much, you know, uh, into Kurt Cobain, Nirvana, you know, baggy jeans, baggy pants, girls looked like boys. So it was very funny when we went to, you know, do some scouting and it just was dismal. You know, we just would look at each other and go, oh my God, this is just <laughs> the most horrible world. We need to- This is so depressing. <laughs> this is so fucking depressing. We need to make our world <laughs> fabulous. And I think this the idea was to also create something beautiful and feminine and pretty, you know, to really change things around. But also it reflects that the girls are like their leaders in their environment. You know, they, they are the ones that set those trends in, in the school environment, which kind of comes across with the way that they are. So kind of, they stand out so much. Correct. Correct. So, you know, then I was on a film and here I have the script amazing script i feel like the script also is just really really fantastic because you have very developed characters you know and then taking you know my ideas from the runway so i had to really look into what's happening in london what's happening in you know paris and milan and kind of okay what are the trends because the movie also doesn't come out till year from making it because it has to go through editing and all the process so not only i was creating a new world but when it came out i wanted to make sure it's fresh and the other very, very important thing was that Amy, specifically the director, also didn't want the actors to look like models strutting around in their high heels, snooty girls. They have to be authentic and real. Yeah. You know, so how do you now take the fashion, the high fashion from the runways and really kind of almost transform through the eyes of these young girls? You know, what would they do? How would they, mm. they, they kind of, you know, incorporate into their lives? So, you know, we always had like sweet shoes like Mary Jane's, you know, the over-the-knee stockings, you know, everything kind of came from real thing, like a plaid. So plaid skirt for everybody is Catholic school, right? And like yeah. a uniform. But what does Cher does with it? Well, she gets a Dolce Gabbana suit. That's taken us perfectly into the first look that I want to talk about. So obviously I think that... It's not quite the opening scene, but the opening scene when the two girls arrive at school and they're both wearing their their tartan suit. So Cher's wearing the yellow. I mean, everybody can picture this this look like perfectly. Oh my god! It's it's. I think it's it's the the most known yellow plaid outfit. You know, yes. I mean, it's comparable to the Marilyn Monroe white dress. I mean, it's really Absolutely. like it, it's iconic. Was that Dolce then? It was a Dolce. Dolce actually at the time had a young line, like a youthful line. So that was from their line. D&G, was it D&G? D&G, exactly. Yeah. It was D&G. And uh, it was actually off the rack, you know, so I found it in the store. And I, you know, that movie at the time was not a big movie. That was about $25 million movie. Right. As a costume designer, we get like two months to prep. Yeah. Not a lot of money in the budget for costumes, you know, especially when you're thinking of Alicia Silverstone having 60 changes. I mean, the, you must have been. That. I don't know if there's any other movie. So in the first three minutes when I was watching it last night, there's like six changes and we were all sat here watching it being like, there yes. are so many clothes. This is why this film is so great. We'll be back with Mona after this. Oh! 
In case you've been living under a rock and you haven't noticed, this podcast is in partnership with Vestia Collective. That's au français for chère de wardrobe, darling. The leading global platform for pre-loved fashion. There are currently over 1.6 million fashion items available to purchase from every brand you could ever imagine. And over 50,000 new ones are added every single week. Download the Vestiaire Collective app and use my promo code HENRY at the checkout for 20 quid off when you spend 150. Full T's and C's on vestiairecollective.com. Au revoir. So you bought the yellow suit from Dolce. Was the plaid that idea of kind of the, the twist on that uniform, that, you know, that Catholic girl, that, that sweet innocence, but it was this acid bright pumped up version that really made those girls pop from the rest? Or? Right. But again, uh, the yellow wasn't really planned because we, you know, as a blonde, I was thinking blue. I was thinking maybe red is pretty, pretty beautiful, you know, kind of powerful color. Yeah. But we were discussing where that scene is going to take place. And it was in the quad where you have a lot of green, a lot of people crossing, you know, back and forth. Yeah. So when in a fitting, we tried the beautiful blue suit that I had, which was a different, you know, different brand. And it just felt flat, even though it was mm. beautiful on Alicia. Then we tried the red and the red was just a little trying too hard, like just not quite appropriate. Yeah. When she put the yellow, you know, which was kind of like not a color you associate with blondes. It was incredible. It was that one moment that, you know, I talk about in the fittings when like, you know, this is the perfect thing. You know that where she put it on, she just was like the ray of sunshine, that color yellow, the energy of the color itself was just radiating this warmth. And that was it. I mean, we all look at each other, you know, Amy Heckling, Alicia, me, and we're like, this is it. This is it. And <laughs> I love those moments. You know, I love those moments oh, when you're just like, we've done something magical. Something's happened. Oh, yeah. When everything kind of aligns together. And then I designed um, the yarn suit okay. uh, to go with it. Yeah. So that was Monome original. You know, I, I felt that black and white would be really nice, very fresh for her skin. I was able to find that hat. It was a New York millionaire, Cockin, still exists. We're still friends to this day. And then I designed the vinyl lapel to kind of match the hat. And of course, you know, the backpack, skin, the collie and all the other accessories, the phones that they had and the over the knee stockings, the, you know, Dion actually had um, knee highs and a 50s purse. What was really nice too about this film, which, which was almost the mother of invention when you don't have a lot of money. It was where at the time in the nineties, People wore high fashion. Yeah. People wore thrift store clothes. People didn't really go high and low. Mm. You know, like we have the Balenciaga now with the ripped jeans and the flip-flops, and then you have, you know, expensive jewelry. It wasn't really very happening at the time. And I kind of created that first time that people saw mixing of the high and low. So you had the Dolce Gabbana suit, but then you had the 50s, you know, purse, and then you had the Mary Janes from the mall and like, you know, T-shirt and a little vest under. So that was also, I think, very fresh at the time, something that I think to this day inspires and feels kind of yeah. uh, new. Was that partly because you didn't have the budget to like do the D&G head to toe? Or was that part of your kind of building of the characters of those girls? It was a mixture of the things. It was something maybe really in the beginning, you know, 
I really didn't have the money to buy all designers. I mean, I probably would have more designer clothes in the film if I could afford it. But in a way, it allowed me to pull more of my own in there and kind of make it a little fresh, yeah. you know, having to go to thrift stores and having to go to the mall. And, you know, imagine trying to create a future with only things you have now. So how selective and, yeah. you know, you have to be really innovative to, to get that across. And how did you go about creating this, the nuanced difference between Cher and Dion's characters? Because they're two best friends and we all know those best friends, those relationships where girls dress in a very similar <laughs> way, you know, and it's kind of, it's very cliquey and it's very cool. But, and right, all of right. the, you know, all of the girls in the film have this kind of collective group style, which is like the clueless style, right. but then the characteristics of each individual shine through so strong. So how did you approach those nuanced differences between those two leads? Well, as a costume designer, you know, script is always my blueprint. And, you know, mm -hmm. you spend a lot of time talking to the director before you, you start fittings, who these girls are, you know, and Cher was very proper in a way you know she was prissy almost to a point you know very couture to me uh, you know she had a very beautiful petite body you know and what is great on those girls it's you know little dresses cup sleeves empire waist these little airline skirts you know very kind of classic almost to me she was like a french girl yeah you know she reminded me you know audrey hepburn too you know she would have the perfect little black dress in this case red dress but um you know light skin tone, blonde hair, you know, so what, what is the color palette for her? What are her shapes? Much more kind of classic shapes. And then you have Dion who is sassy, you know, she's much more experienced with the boys, of course. Yeah. Uh, she wears, you know, a lot shorter skirts, you know, her textures are much more interesting. So you have the vinyl skirt, you know, you have the leopard, you have the neon colors, which I really loved putting on her as well. You know, a lot of kind of hair accessories and, you know, we're definitely able to push the envelope with her. So, you know, from there, definitely the, when you put that into, into fashion language, you have two different girls. Yeah. But they, but they always called each other in the morning to find out what they're wearing because they had to go together. To match, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how did the two actresses approach it when you were in the fittings? You know, you talked a little bit about Alicia. It was like her first big role. What about the other, you know, the other characters in the film? Yeah, you know, everybody was very young in the movie. I mean, it was very, you know, a lot of up and coming actors. And I think none of them were ever in a film where it demanded so much from the wardrobe. You know, I mean, there was a lot of fittings. Yeah. Uh, but I think they really enjoyed the process because it was learning about, you know, being in the fitting with somebody like me who, you know, I mean, I'm so obsessed about everything head to toe with the you know the fuzzy pen to the earring to the shoe to the thing you know the I, I just every detail so it was really important i think interesting for them to be part of this kind of uh, almost a learning process i think for alicia you know she even left me a message the other day saying you know mona i just i never really knew how important that was like how how what what's what the film is going to be because she was so young you know, and there was a lot of work for her. I mean, imagine getting 60 changes done. It's a lot of hours in the fitting and trying clothes on and, you know, maybe this doesn't work and then we have to try it again and then you have to make the alterations and then put the outfit together and then maybe try it again and then take a picture because then I have to make the collage of all the changes and where they're going to go. Dion, um, you know, Stacy was a little older. She, I think she was already a little bit more... Uh, 
uh, into fashion in a way, you know, so she was really into it in a sense of like, I love it. Give me, give me that, that vinyl skirt, you know, let's do the ribbons in the hair, you know, so she was, she was more open. And I think just, she was like encouraging, like egging you on to be like more and more. Let's exactly. Go you know, I mean the hats that we did, she loved wearing the hats, you know, and she was just such a beautiful girl it was, you know, we, we just had so much fun with her. And she also had a very kind of her own sense of style too, that she brought to it. Like that little sassy, that little, you know, I mean, she kind of, she knew how to make her character edgy in a way like, oh yeah, yeah. she's already gone second base with the guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> but, you know, same with the boys. Everybody was just part of the, it was such a good set, you know, having an awesome leader, like a great director who's into fashion, who is encouraging and, you know, who wrote the script, who gets the characters. So it's kind of like, it doesn't feel like work. Is it true that Paul Rudd wore mostly his own clothes? I read that somewhere when I was... No, that's Adam Sandler. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Different film. (laughs) Different film. But, uh, (laughs) you know, it, it looked like he wore his own clothes. I mean, it's a quintessential character of... I mean, that, that and that's ca- amazing costume design again. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I mean, we tried to do something fun with his t-shirts. Like he had... Uh, there were always a different cause. I was noticing last night there was always a different chari- charitable cause. So exactly. Amnesty International and breast cancer targeting. Exactly. Or some cool bar in Austin, you know, some cool, real, un- you know, uh, obscure bar in Austin that friend of mine gave me the t-shirt. So we always tried to kind of, you know, for him to be the Nietzsche reading guy and intellectual and, you know, yeah. of the cause. But if you look at, characters like him they would wear the same thing now you know it would be that t-shirt baggy t-shirt with the plaid shirt with the kind of you know just worn jeans and there was not a lot for him to change you know you wanted to make sure that he as he was in the movie didn't care about clothes it was really kind of like you know the opposite of that yeah so it was always kind of underplayed in a sense but fit him well you know it was always everything was washed everything felt he had in his position for a long time I'm almost as mesmerized by the extras in the film and just the way they build this entire world, right? There was, there was so many characters and each and every one of them was just so well done. But how, how many people did you have to dress? Was it just like insane amounts of, of outfits? Insane amount. I mean, seriously, insane amount. Like somebody asked me in an interview recently, what would I think? I mean, I would think it's probably over 2,000 costumes because, you know, imagine all the extras in the quad, in the school, in the outside, in the classroom, they would come in the morning at 5 a.m. to get dressed because they were wearing plaid shirts, baggy pants, and dark, ugly colors, which definitely did not fit our color palette. (laughs) So it was really a lot of work, you know, really kind of creating the clicks. You had the, you know, you have the skateboarders, the the, punk rockers, you have the stoners, you have the smart kids, you have the cool boys. You know, all of those people. Then you have the, the the cute girls in the classroom with, you know, Amy had them, you know, like they all had nose jobs. <laughs> those, those yeah, they all had this, the plaster, which I thought was so fun. <laughs> yeah. For the supporting characters, so, you know, like Ty and Amber, do you feel like there's more freedom and, and room for experimentation or is it just, is it the same process of kind of really like, you know, um, isolating what that character is about and, and what they're there to do, I suppose. 
I mean, I, I think that always it's the same process in a sense, because you have to see who they are on a page. You have to see who the actor is. What can you do? Because let's say Amber, you know, the fashion victim character, if that was a different girl in different body shape, maybe those clothes would actually not look as the same way and be more funny or, you know. Yeah. Do you not get less bits of script about those more supporting characters? And so it, there's, there's more sort of freedom for interpretation, I guess, from, from your perspective. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. So, I mean, well, for me, Amber's one of the unsung fashion heroes. I, you know, I just, I love her, her themes, her sort of (laughs) jungle Jane, you know, the camo and the leopard. I love her wired plaits. I love her nose job, you know, her pee kit. I just think she is so cool. Like she would be, I'd like to be Amber for sure. Um, and she's got Oh my god, who wouldn't who wouldn't want to be Amber, seriously? And she's got a feeling of <laughs> Betty Boo and Delight. Like, did you reference any of those Completely. girls? Was it like you looked at music videos and pop stars for, for those kind of characters? Completely. Delight was I loved her so much. So yes, absolutely. And you know, and we were all kind of bringing ideas to the table too. I mean, I love Pippi Longstocking, was my one of my favorite characters growing up. So I mean, how fun was that? And then, you know, wiring her hair and and making the the hair stand and all the all the textures and colors so it just was a lot of fun I think it's it's one of those characters that like you said you can kind of go wild and uh do anything and everything worked I mean the sailor hat you know the sailor outfit with the little money sign you know, the dollar you know sign. Just, yeah. and, and she was such a game too I love that she was so open you know our actress to to, to just yeah really, she was never afraid of anything, you know? And I think that also the cu- the outfits were not comical. They were always kind of high fashion, you know? So she didn't feel that she was like fashion victim, but ridiculous, you know, like a clown or, or you know. She was never the butt of the joke. Like, exactly, that, you know, there was exactly. Never any, yeah, never negative. That was always like, you know, high enough style that it was kind of crazy, but really cool. <laughs> yeah. I just love her. Um, and so you, you mentioned it briefly earlier, but was it important for you to represent and name real designers throughout the movie? Because that would be, you know, typical of those Beverly Hills girls lifestyle. So that, you know, the Calvin Klein reference, the Aliyah reference, w- were those designers in the script or were they designers no. that you chose and put, put in? You know, it was much more organic because I think it really was what happened in the fitting and then a incorporated into the script because we just didn't have the luxury to just have all of this and we you know that was before the PR machine too so it was not like maybe in the sex in the city where they get all the clothes from all the designers that was really you know in the 90s that wasn't really that way so for me to get the things was really hard mm. you know to get the ally address I actually had a contact through a friend in Paris and she contacted you know the, the representation there and they agreed to it you know I had to like write them a letter and say you know just know that the dress may end up on the ground and hope nothing happens because I know I have to return it in one piece to you and you know they were super cool about it but it really it was just what hook would I get and yeah. same with the um, Calvin Klein dress we had a bunch of stuff in the fitting and you know they were like things that looked more slip-like because we wanted to make sure that also audience understands, is it a slip? But it started to look a little bit too lingerie and too sexy. It was too tight, too spandex. So then when we actually put the cream spaghetti strap cotton jersey dress on her, 
it felt right. You know, it was kind of still very share, very up, didn't feel slutty in any way, but it was in the way of the eyes of the father inappropriate. And did Calvin Klein lend the pieces for the movie as well, or did you buy off the rack for those? I bought it. I bought it off the rack. Yeah, I bought it off the rack. It just, you know, and then we had the wrap, the see-through jacket that she wore. Like she said, duh, dead. And then, you know, she puts the see-through coat, which was Vivian Tam. Uh, so it was a great, you know, I think it was just such a great thing. And again, you know, we were able to put the names in there. But, you know, it, it, as I said, it was very, very organic how it happened. Two of the movie's most famous lines, like, Daddy, it's a dress, says who? Calvin Klein. And like, it's an Awada, it's an Aliyah. Like, they are two of the most <laughs> famous lines in the movie, which, you know, is kind of testament to how much the movie is around the fashion. But they could have not happened had it not been for, totally. for that process. That's amazing. Totally. So they were kind of r- really last minute additions to the script. Yes, yes. And, and uh, you know, it really came through wardrobe into the script. It wasn't the other way around. Yeah. And I think what was so wonderful, because I think Alaya at the time was huge in Paris. You know, I think he was super important designer. <laughs> but, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but really not known overseas here in America, especially to masses, you know. So it was. Right. Yeah, of I course. Mean, I hear this all the time from girls like I never even heard of Alaya, you know? Yeah. So it was very cool. And I think in the same way, I, you know, now we're talking about all the black lives matters and all this stuff. I think that Amy Heckling also was such a uh, original and, and innovator at the time, you know, to put African-American girl in this very affluent position of a best friend in Beverly Hills. You know, I speak to a lot of young girls who telling me that, you know, they before never seen a girl who, who, who dressed like this, who was like that, that was African-American. So I think there was a lot of, you know, Amy is a really a visionary. I think it's really important as well that there's no real reference to Dion color at all in the movie you know it's just like that's that's just the way it is like my best that's my best friend and that you know it's not kind of made a deal out of it at all which I think is kind of you know the most honest and you know natural way of kind of including that in in the movie but then I think through the fashion as well Dion has that sense of self and you know her reference points are a little bit more sassy a little bit more sexy a little bit more Mm -hmm. street and Mm -hmm. I think that kind of comes through in that way which is clever street definitely street because you know she also had to go with murray and then murray you know had yeah. to kind of have his little Love uh clothing coordinated and you know always looking good and he had the congo hat with his little you know maybe matching you know hoodie or something it was really fun to, to dress the boys too were there any designers that refused to lend anything or like you know declined to be involved because they must be gutted <laughs> looking back I just you know what, who knows 25 years ago who I reached even out to, you know, I mean, it was just kind of like, it's such a little time you have to prep. I mean, you are like, I mean, you are rolling up your sleeves and you, okay, next, 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 you got to keep going, moving. Okay. No. Okay. Next. You know, it's, it's truly, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, my job in a sense that we can get accomplished so much that actually this movie happened and you know it, all the fashion is impeccable and to this day that you know I was able to actually make this create this you know it's it's really truly mm. a, a huge thing thinking of all the fittings and then alterations and then doing the puzzle which outfit go in which scene with all the three girls you know matching and then the other people and then making sure where they are in the scenes does it go with the you know is it in the mall or is it in the cafeteria outside it's a huge 
it's a huge job, you know? So I, I think a lot of times that audiences don't realize what costume designers do. You know, I, I love that I can talk about it to you and so many, I think now, you know, even more so we are elevating our craft to, to a higher position. I think there's more interest of people about costume design. And I think it's great because through all this, uh, you know, medium, I can talk about it. And for people to understand it, what we do, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit enigmatic job. I feel like people mm. think, Oh yeah, they just wear their own clothes or it's, you know, somebody sends me the clothes and I put the clothes mm. on the actor and they just go on the screen. No, it's so, it's so much deeper than that. And so you mentioned that the, the Mona May original of the, of Dion's black and white check suit, which other outfits in the movie were, were Mona May originals that you custom made? The other big, big one was the um, jacket that she wears over the red Alaya dress. Okay. Because amazing. I felt it was, you know, very important for her to have something fabulous to go to the Christmas party. And uh, so it, this is going to be the second outfit that we're going to focus on. So it's the um, it's the party in the valley. Um, she's got the red Alaya dress on. She's got the 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 red satin Mary Jane. Yes. And this incredible um wasted almost edwardian cut yes um brocade jacket with a feather collar right yes so you designed that jacket yes i designed a jacket you know i love feathers i feel like i will have a feather bow on my grave you know because it's just like my (laughs) signature especially when you see my movies you know never been kissed romy and michelle there's always some boa somewhere yeah Um, it's almost like in this movie in particular it almost feels like it's teen like it's fur for teenagers you know it's like those beverly hills rich women would be wearing the big (laughs) furs and these teenagers are like i can afford a boa from the fancy dress shop (laughs) that's perfect yes Yeah. Yes. It was great. It was, you know, it was such a delight because when we were setting out to get her something for the, that scene, that Christmas scene, you know, I just wanted to be something very, very high fashion, almost a little bit adult, you know, and I think that dress said everything because it was a little bit lower, you know, lower cut for everything that she wore. I mean, the beautiful kind of yeah. straps, very wide apart and, and that, that straight neckline and just enough of that beautiful material that uh, Alaya has used over the years, you know, that just kind of grabs you and gives you that figure, but mm. never ever, you know, is indecent in any way, you know, which I think was so beautiful. It, it just gave, gave her such confidence who, you know, who she is. I think her mannerisms are really powerful as well. Like the way she walked, the way yeah. she kind of interpreted in those clothes, she didn't over-sexualize her movement. She kind of yes. had a sort of yes. clunky teenage 15-year-old walk, like she wasn't really that good in high heels. Yes, and, and, and that, you know, and that is Amy Heckling, yeah. Yeah, and that's Amy Heckling, really a great eye for that, really always grounding it to the high school age, so kind of the awkwardness, you know, um, be it with the clothes, be it with the language and their expression. And I, again, I think that's such a part of the success of this film, all those feelings, because it never felt like too much. You know, they're talking about maybe remaking Clueless now, and I feel like it will never work because it's, it's our world is so different. The innocence is gone. You know, it's like, it's just, yeah. it would have to be so sexualized and I'm so this and I'm so that, and that none of that was in the film. And I think, and maybe that's what it is. Like when I said in the beginning where, you know, someone on my Instagram and saying, I love your movie. And I just showed it to my 10 year old Yeah, because they feel like it's still the right thing it's the the expression of youthfulness it's decent it's beautiful you know it's empowering instead of being like hey yo what i'm doing and like what being very kind of 
knowing. I think it's like they're, they're, there's a there's a naivety to, to knowing, the girls, yes, but like yes. they're super knowing about their looks and their yes. fashion and the, and their style. But there's a naivety to the way they rep- they present themselves as women. I think, which is endearing. Perfectly said. Perfect, mm. perfectly said. Endearing. It's a beautiful word. I think for that. Yeah. And I I think the combination of what you talked about in the beginning. It's like a fashion show that you can turn off the you know and just just see the visuals to the actors, to kind of that innocence, all of that, I think, really touched women's hearts, you know? Yeah. Truly uh, identifying with the characters, wanting to emulate the characters. You know, the fashion is, is such a huge part, but I think it's, you know, there's emotion in it. Costume design is the, is the most explicit way that we kind of realize the power of fashion and the you know the way its ability to tell people's stories which is why i love it so much i want to be a costume designer when i grow up that's why i've always said so if you if you ever need an in well, yeah if you ever over. need an intern come, come let's, to LA. Uh, let's let's take like, a lot yes me. please come but can i can i say something on, on uh, because i love what you just said and i feel mm-hmm. like you know um we don't realize when actor stands you know come onto the screen and within probably 10 seconds you know who they are but what they wear you know and really that information cannot be conveyed with these props with the walls with their house it really truly is incredibly uh quick read mm. uh, to understand who the character is and i love that i mean to me really i i paint with you know to me frame is like a painting you know and how people interact and who they are and and what they're wearing and colors and you know including the extras it's really like to me it's a how I create my painting. It's true in real life. It's how we represent ourselves to the outside world. It's how we tell people who we are, what we're about. I always say it's like a billboard to the outside world. You know, you can, we make a decision on yeah. people. Where, billboard to the, I love that. Like yeah. we make a decision on the people that we meet within the first eight seconds of meeting them. And that's whether they've spoken or not. So I think, you know, it's, it's something that's reflected in real life as well. And so back to that jacket, what was your reference points for the jacket? Was it, did, had you seen something on the runway or was it, you know, fully just... I, I'm just such a fan of just those Edwardian jackets and that that fitted kind of a little bit longer. I just feel like, you know, it was also mostly what would work with that dress and how would, you know, showcase her body in the best way, you know, and the the bow was so festive it just you know we wanted to there was nothing really in the film because they were young girls you know not unlike Rami and Michelle where they are adult girls and I could kind of go with that real further there was nothing really that adult and I think this was the most adult outfit that she ever wore you know so I think that kind of brocade (laughs) material was also very kind of elevated and I think the boa kind of framing her yeah and you know the boa in the parking lot and getting mugged it's even more crazy yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I think you know everything kind of comes together in my mind and kind of mixes it and then something comes out you know it's 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 the different different ideas that propel the design I'm sure you know everybody has their own process but um yeah it's the scene dictates so much to so much too you know like what would be funny what 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 is right so when you're putting together the the outfits for a particular scene that relate to the script do you work with the set designers and the production designers to figure out what the the visual is going to look like for each frame what the backdrop is going to look like for to frame the outfits in terms of colors and looks or is is that just something that kind of you test out once you're on screen 
No, we definitely, we have a lot of meetings, you know, at the beginning. And I think this, this, what was really interesting in, in, in Clueless that uh, we, we wanted to close to pop yeah. because we know, we knew we we're going to use a lot of colors, a lot of textures. So we actually, uh, Amy's uh, in our meetings, you know, spoke with the production designer where the sets kind of, we receded them. So if you really look at the sets are kind of like um, allowing the costumes to pop. They always very muted, mostly kind of gray tones. There's a lot less maybe clutter in the film and the set dressing as well. And of course, you know, I was then closely working with like set dresser and making sure, you know, what couch they are on, you know, what props, you know, a lot of the props I actually bought myself or we made the props because they were not really available. You know, the stuff that was so, so innovative and new. It's, it's from the beginning, you know, when you do the visual boards and you, in those meetings of, really discussing, you know, who they are, where they live, what's going on, what's the location going to be, you know, what the colors of the walls I'll give you. This is really the time to communicate mm. everybody's information. And then I can go, oh, you know, that green thing is going to be bad or, you know, that's not really great color for Alicia's skin and I'm going to really pump up the colors here. So, you know, it's really kind of working together to creating that that beauty. And, you know, sometimes there are mistakes and, and something happens that there is miscommunication and you walk on the set and she's wearing a green sweater and there's a green couch that can happen as well because the couch they originally wanted to get didn't come through so you know there's last minute changes as well always you have to be on your toes and i think as a costume designer you have to be open to those changes because there is so many unseen invisible things that can happen it's just a moving picture yeah. you know it's not like a painting or, or a photograph were there any outfits that ended up on the cutting room floor that you were upset by them not making the final movie i was lucky <laughs> to make 60 and and 45 yeah, beyond. Yeah, I was and say. I was you know and then Ty had probably 35 and then you had Amber and then you had the boys and then you wow. had the extra so I think we used pretty much everything we had I mean there was a giant trailer full of clothes and accessories yeah I can imagine <laughs> moving on to the third outfit that I want to talk about um and that is the PE class um because I, I i love that it's it's in in a way it's the most explicit way that the characterization is set for each of the girls because it's the most in uniform right that they are because there's the, the there's the monochrome look to that which a creates this amazing visual on a tennis court but also it just allows you to really express each of the girls individuality within the confines of a black and white uniform style i suppose who came up with the concept to kind of to make it monochrome and to have that black and white uniform effect well again coming from kind of the authenticity and what happens in real life so we were like okay again this is what every school has but what happens in beverly hills and those girls that have everything so it really was kind of coming from that very basic uh premise and then you know creating each one of them into their own characters so you know dion has a tuxedo shirt with the sheer you know sleeves with her matching beeper with the of course, kind of street headband, you know, her bandana. Uh, then you have, you know, our prissy share in her little spaghetti strap tank top over the t-shirt, which is now de jour. Everybody wears it. They even come as a set. <laughs> yeah. Then you have Amber in her little... <laughs> and then Amber has the matching co-ord, which is also so popular now. Matching cycling <laughs> shorts and bra tops. So good. So good with the crazy hair. I feel like Amber would be Kylie Jenner. Totally. Don't you? Don't you feel totally. like Amber would be the Kylie Jenner? <laughs> totally. 
only oh my god so good <laughs> she would have her own line of lip Completely, kits 100%. 100% and I think I share would be CEO yeah you know Dion I don't know she could even run some some I mean maybe she even became a lawyer in the end she's like forget this I'm just gonna be a power yeah. bitch and I'm just gonna show yeah. you all you know uh probably had a bunch of kids with 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 you know Murray and uh I don't know it's just it's great to kind of it would be fun to look into the future you know and, and yeah do you ever think about the characters and how the movie would be if it was made today do you do you ever th- you know, have you ever been asked about that? Have you ever thought about how different it would be if they had social media, if they I just had think, smartphones, you know? I just don't think it would work. Like we talked about, about yeah. it before, you know, it just, it just wouldn't feel so beautiful. And, and it was a time that was, you know, it's a capsule in time. I think that really hmm. can't be replicated because it was, it was, I don't know, what we showed it really was the girls being girls without the influence of everything, how maybe you should be, you know, it was, it was much more less. Yeah. We knew, we knew less and maybe it was better in a sense, you know? Um, mm, yeah. Kind of creating that individualism that, that came more from you that you didn't have to copy everything, you know, in a sense, because now it's like, you know, you just Google everything and you just know everything and you just, everybody is a fashion designer. So, you know, there was a little bit that, that limitation maybe it was actually really great. It allows that naivety to come through, to come out. Yeah, it's like you wouldn't have that today. You would yeah. you would know yeah. if, you know, your your school was starting trends in Seoul, Korea. Do you know what I mean? Because, you would, you'd, because you'd be an influencer and you'd be on the internet right. and you'd have a global audience to everything that you were doing. So Right. And I think that's a problem too, because I think as an influencer, not that something is wrong to be with influencer, but I think that you start living your life to be influencer. So every decision that is made mm. is to influence and to do something. So it's more like a show off instead of coming from truly from you sometimes, you know, and I feel like that also was much more true to who they were without really being like a show off, you know, always being, yeah, you know, Oh, look at me. I'm wearing this today. Isn't it great? That never felt like in a film. In that scene, in the PE class scene, it's the first time we meet Ty. And I think that whole journey of Ty's arrival as the grungy skater girl, the one they're like, ooh, and then, you know, the transformation and the makeover. And then when she finally kind of ends in this comfortable middle ground between how she arrived and, you know, how she would present in this new world. Yes. Was that an exciting kind of journey to put together from a costume perspective, you know, that like using fashion in such a way on the storyline it was so much fun especially because Brittany murphy uh was already even though she was 17 uh she was brilliant you know is that how old she was she was 17 you know again one of her first movies and she came with her mom you know chaperone but what was so incredible her instincts were so right on you know she truly was immediately in the fitting said, Mona, I just want to go really grungy. I just make me look ugly. You know, I want to really show myself like this very lost girl, you know, let's make my hair horrible hair color. You know, that t-shirt, those, I mean, the hideous brown baggy pants. And that's probably the only very brave as a 17 year old girl, like your first big movie, you want to look so you want to look gorgeous and 
desirable and she was like no but she knew she knew in her heart what it will do it will give her the art yeah and that was same for me you know i wanted to have that room to play so then her becoming kind of the mini me of share you know to, to kind of emulating her uh in a way that maybe it wasn't designer but came from like a mall you know contemporary casual little little store so you know there was not the fabulous fabrics it, you know the shape maybe didn't fit so perfectly but it was what share what she would want it to be like share and then having the transition to the end where you see her blossoming and finding herself so in the end where she kind of is almost like the book and she's wearing jeans and a t-shirt and now she has the pigtail but she's a completely different person she's you know this very youthful young kind of street girl with her skateboarder boyfriend yeah um you know so it, it was it, it gave us that that place to really go and come around back around and you use hats quite a lot in in the movie there's a lot of headwear which i think is often a really strong character building device is that is that a mona may signature is that something that you felt referenced the time or is that just a really strong way when there's you know close crops to really emphasize elements of character all of the above I love hats. I love hats. <laughs> okay. I, I think if you see pictures of me on the internet, I always almost have a hat on. I, I, I put one on today, but it's so hot in LA that I, with the lights and everything was too hot to oh, wear. Oh, you had to take it off. But yeah, I love hats. You know, I love vintage hats. When I go visit my mom in Berlin, I always scour all the thrift stores for the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s hats, men's, women's, you know, anything, fascinators. And uh, it was really fun that Amy Heckling, our director, was super into hats as well because it really makes the outfit. I mean, it's truly, I mean, Dion's outfit without that hat wouldn't be what it is. You know, all the Dr. Seuss hats, all the little berets that Alicia got to wear. Um, you know, to me, it's so European too. It's very French. You know, I mean, the pico that she wore, the beret, timeless. I mean, it's forever. So it, it did elevate it and made it fun. And I think something that American audience also never seen. You know, it was not here that people were like wearing hats in high school. You know, yeah. it really. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that was also something like, whoa, this is so cool. Especially that that opening scene, like Dion's kind of bonnet hat is just so oh. over the top and yet feels so right like for, for the character Perfect. which is great. It's so yeah, right so wrong and so right right everybody just wear exactly everybody wears it for the first day of yeah. school you know and there was a designer actually from new york Kalkin, uh k-o-k-i-n who is to this day uh still is a millionaire and makes the makes beautiful hats so it was a great relationship you know for us to 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 have and bring that to the film amazing and, and are you surprised by how modern and relevant the the outfits feel today and you know like i mean there's there's particularly a, a 90s revival at the moment i suppose but you know there's one scene when i was watching it last night that really stuck out there's in the mall with christian the the mint green empire line sort of cat oh. sleeve dress oh. and she has the mini green handbag it looks like a jacquemus mini handbag like that's like blown the world away that's like it's <laughs> And, and I'm like, this is 25 years ago. And it's, it feels like you would see that girl at the shows in Paris, exactly the same look. It's yeah. like that street yeah. style thing. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I think that it's just testament to kind of my talent and kind of my sensibility. I feel like that I really had a very much of a global point of view mm. at the time when that was really like in the, in our vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, because I, I grew up in Europe, mm. I think I had a different, different perspective on things what really kind of 
maybe I grew up with and what I've seen in my life, yeah. what kind of interested me as fashion. You know, it wasn't really this American trendy stuff. It was much more kind of elevated fashion, uh, high fashion, and then, you know, translating that successfully to the high school. Yeah. Um, having some kind of intuition, what would work, you know, mm. and creating fun stuff like, you know, the, the Chanel-like water bottle uh that that share war in the gym scene you know mm. was then on on lagerfeld's catwalk so you know it, i didn't set out to do that what happened so it, it's it's a delight and i am i am surprised but i also i feel kind of justified in a way like wow that things that i really thought will work they did and that's a great feeling, you know, I think if the, if the collection is successful, you know, and it's like, you're like, yeah, that worked, like your pink suit. Oh my God, we all want it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and how do you feel today when you still see girls dressed as the characters for say Halloween or, or designers referencing them in, in, in their shows? Wore my heart. I jumped for joy. I mean, I think really meeting the women on the street and, you know, I mean, I just was at this art gallery opening a few months ago before COVID and there was a young girl dressed so cute and I said, you are so adorable and just, I love your fashion sense and we started talking and, you know, she found out I did clues and she almost cried and then, you know, we said goodbye and then the parents came around and they were like, <laughs> can she take a picture? This is like the best day of her life. You know, it's just, those are the moments, you know, when young people write me and say, you know, you inspired me to be a fashion designer or costume designer you know you delighted my life now I'm showing the movie to the it feels my life had a purpose you know I mean as crazy as it say it's the creativity it kind of I mean you know costume design job is you get up at five in the morning you work 12 14 hours you a lot of times out of town on location you know you don't see your family it's a kind of a hard profession in a way you know it's not a nine to five it's you have to be extremely dedicated you have to love what you do because you're it's all consuming you know filmmaking being part of that 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 kind of uh circus troupe as we call it um so it's a great uh feedback and a great kind of accomplishment to feel you know because it really a lot of work went into it a lot of movies i mean rami and michelle never been kissed enchanted yeah you know house bunny um american pie you know i've done recently Santa Clarita diet with Drew Barrymore, you know, continuing her relationship after so many years. So it really is, it's, do you have a favorite? How can you ask a mother whose child is fa favorite? I mean, you know, Clueless <laughs> will always I, be. I used to say the same right, about my right. shows. Yeah, I used to say the same. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's, I love Clueless will always be my calling card, but you know, I love Enchanted, any Adam dress that I design, you know, mm. came from 2D animation to live action, you know, working with Drew Barrymore and having the opportunity to dress her now. And she's a mother of two, you know, since wedding singer, we were like both, you know, almost teenagers yeah. and having these deep relationships, you know, it's, to me, it's about um, empowering girls. It's about really giving them to, to feel good. I mean, I do the best makeovers in a movie. You know, if you look at all my movies, like I, I was recently in a magazine, uh, entertainment weekly, and I was included in this spread of the best makeovers and two of my movies were there. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's really, this is what I can kind of, I think what I'm, good at and what I bring the feel good the kind of you know be a girl feel good in your skin and I love that that really is kind of the legacy of my work Clueless as a set like it was a lot of the actors and actresses it was their first a lot of them it was their first set to be on and you know they were it was a really young cast and crew what was the atmosphere like on set was it was every did everybody get along was it fun was it crazy 
Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. I mean, we're still friends. I'm still super close with Alicia Silverstone. You know, I'm still very close with the director. I don't see the boys that often, but if we cross our paths, you know, on sets, it's like, oh my God, Donald hugs, you know. Um, it, it's just, you know, I mean, Paul Rudd, he lives in New York, so I don't see him that often, but it's just, it's, you know, I think it's kind of like the formative years, like if you were to get in a sorority or something, you know, and you live this time and then this, this project kind of kept you together, bringing us together at all the anniversaries and all the different photo shoots. And, you know, it, it's, it's something very unique. And I think that also our leader, Amy Heckling, the director had to do something creating that atmosphere, you know, like really championing these young actors, you know, and championing me and my talent, you know, saying, get that head, let's do it. You know, what else can you bring? Let's have fun, you know, let's push the envelope. I mean, if you think of the way that movie was shot, you know, she hired this incredibly talented director of photography, Bill Pope, who shot this film also in a very unique way. It was like a fashion eye. You know, so the camera went to all the detail. The camera went to her shoe and up her leg and to her, you know, pen. We saw the detail. And that was also something that was, you know, it's like when you have someone to, who encouraged creativity on all levels, and that means acting, designing, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it, I think the product feels that. Okay, so I have one final question for you. Um, what, what have you kept? What do you still have from the movie? What? What pieces? Do you have any of the clothing? Do you have any memorabilia, Polaroid sketches? Do you have anything at all or is it? I have sketches uh, because they, you know, that's what I did in design. So I have a couple sketches because the clothes, unfortunately, you know, Paramount kept most of the clothes and 25 years later. Well, because I read somewhere that Alicia Silverstone got given all of the clothes and she said later that she just kind of gave them all away to like over I think, the years yes, to different people. Is yes, that true? And I think to... And I, Who got the Alaya dress? Oh, the Alaya dress went back to Alaya. That was on loan. Ah, uh, okay. But wow. yeah, it was actually very, very, very sad because we have nothing. And, you know, there's been many exhibit, costume exhibit, and that I was not able to be part of because, and it's such an important film, and I'm, I'm not able to really donate anything for the exhibit. So, you know, to this day, I think Alicia really feels bad that 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 you know we don't have anything that she actually gave it away not understanding at the time i think being young what that movie is and what that movie became you know but it's also so many years ago i mean even if they were hanging maybe in a costume house they could be tattered and they could be you know really not available but they'll live on on a screen forever they will and that's a testament to you, Mona. <laughs> so thank you so much for giving us Clueless and for giving us those characters and ah. those outfits. It really has been an endless source of joy for me and so many. So thank you so much. This is so great. I, I just love talking to you. And, you know, it's it's so much fun. And I, I appreciate truly, you know, the fans and the legacy of this very much so. Yeah. It's one of the longest episodes I've ever done. I could literally just sit here and talk to you for hours. I'm just like, I'm so genuinely <laughs> fascinated just in the whole process and, you know, costume and film. And, the, and the, that's kind of one of the reasons I started the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. And um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Of thank you. Of course. Thank you, Henry. Take care. Bye. Ciao. Thank you so much, Mona, for that. I literally could sit here for hours and talk to you about that movie. And thank you all for listening to the podcast. I'll be back next time with another iconic guest to talk about some iconic looks. 
Until then, I'll keep you entertained on Instagram at What Were You Thinking Podcast and take a look at our TikTok at WWYT underscore podcast. If you liked what you heard, let me know. Give us a rating. Five stars, of course, are what we prefer, but anything else is, I don't know, doable. I'm going to have a quick look at the Vestiaire Collective app and see if I can find something ridiculous to wear for next week's Zoom call. If you download the app, make sure you use my promo code for 20 quid off when you spend 150. Just add Henry at the checkout. You are welcome. Bye.